The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. If the current interest in the near-death experience comes from our growing ability to start stopped hearts with CPR and fibrillation, then what chance did earlier generations have to know the truth about what happens when we die? Welcome to ND Radio, brought to you by IONS on this leap day, February 29th of the year of our Lord, 2016. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. I thought I'd use this once every four years day to leap back and see how earlier generations dealt with notions and interpretations of what happens when we die and of the essential nature of the soul. And I thought to do this apart from traditional religious interpretations. Of course, reports of NDEs and other mystical experiences, including encounters with ghosts, dreams, and visions, have always been a part of our world. But as we have become more and more a culture that relies on science and provable experience, the worlds of philosophy and art that proved some of our most profound insights uh, have faded from the culture, leaving only sci-fi and horror shows to fill the void. And for me, at least, movies about zombies, vampires, werewolves, and semi-mystical aliens just don't make it when you're looking for clues to the eternal life of the soul. A good reminder of the role literature has played in understanding the eternal can be found in a master's thesis by Alan Pugh titled The Significance of the Near-Death Experience in Western Cultural Traditions, which you can find on the Internet. Alan Pugh references several works from the past, including a 14th century poem titled Pearl, um, which uh, describes the journey of the spirit of a man who's been traumatized by the death of his daughter. Um, it's uh, supposedly, and I haven't studied this myself, in that poem can be found uh, at least 11 of uh, Raymond Moody's 15 elements of a near-death experience. And, of course, uh, this master's thesis also references the Tenth Book of the Republic, written by Plato over 300 years before the birth of Christ, in which you'll find the story of Ur, and I won't go there because we've discussed that in earlier shows. Um, he then goes on to talk about some of the fantastic journeys to other worlds that you can find in the, the literature, uh, referencing, for instance, Swift's uh, Gulliver's Travels, uh, Carol's Twin Tales of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, James Barry's Peter Pan, and C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And um, as, he, as he writes, within these well-known whimsical tales, the protagonists are shown to travel to fantastic other worlds inhabited by a variety of strange and interesting beings. Um, for instance, uh, Gulliver is uh, shown to converse with the dead, in Alice in Wonderland, uh, she uh, entered her fantastic other world by falling into a dark hole, the tunnel, for you know, as a comparison. Lucy in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe enters hers by entering um, a tunnel motif um, uh, in, by entering the long, dark wardrobe. So throughout each of these uh, fantasy works, uh, there are common NDE phenomena such as the separation of consciousness from the body, movement by floating or flying and the radical distortion of time and space, 
Um, the Velveteen Rabbit, another one that uh, is referenced in uh, in this thesis. Um, the Kelleher, the author, uh, has identified the theme of death and renewal, which he feels is strikingly similar to the near-death experience. Well, that's a commentary on the Velveteen Rabbit. And, um, for example, the rabbit under, uh, undergoes a life review and encounters a being, uh, supposedly a fairy, which takes it on a fantastic journey to another world in which immortality is common. And then there's Virgil's Aeneid, which Aeneas is depicted as visiting the underworld of the dead. And before his return to the land of the living, uh, he's permitted a glimpse of the future. Of course, there's the Divine Comedy, written between uh, 1310 and 1314 by Dante Alighieri. Uh, depicts a fantastic journey into the other world and actually influenced many of the church's thinkings about uh, the nature of hell. And Homer's Odyssey presents uh, images that correspond favorably with modern near-death experience. Um, the uh, thesis goes on to comment that um, the early 20th century poem Renaissance by Edna St. Vincent Millay describes a, transcendent, a transcendental experience akin to an NDE. And um, in, uh, in Just Lost When I Was Saved, Emily Dickinson presents an image of the narrator's return to life from death. Mr. Pugh also includes two of my favorites, Thornton Wilder's play Our Town, in which, just coincidentally, I played the stage manager role in college and, and again in a summer stock production in Maine, and also a, sort, a short selection of Walt Whitman's poem Leaves of Grass, Song of Myself. <clears throat> this selection is called Think of the Soul. And rather than ramble on about the endless numbers of written works, paintings, and musical pieces that worked in the past to connect us with the hereafter, I thought I'd dedicate the rest of this show to discussing that bit of Walt Whitman's poetry and how it accomplishes the same reflections as can an NDE. So let me first read that poem to you. Think of the soul. I swear to you that that body of yours gives proportions to your soul somehow to live in other spheres. I do not know how, but I know it is so. Think of loving and being loved. I swear to you, whoever you are, you can interfuse yourself with such things that everybody that sees you shall look longingly upon you. Think of the past. I warn you that in a little while others will find their past in you and your times. The race is never separated, nor man nor woman escapes. All is inextricable, things, spirits, nature, nations, you too. From precedence you come. Recall the ever-welcome defiers, the mothers precede them. Recall the sages, poets, saviors, inventors, lawgivers of the earth. Recall Christ, brother of rejected persons, brother of slaves, felons, idiots, and of insane and diseased persons. Think of the time when you were not yet born. Think of times you stood at the side of the dying. Think of the time when your own body will be dying. Think of spiritual results. Sure, as the earth swims through the heavens, does every one of its objects pass into 
spiritual results. All right. Love that poem. So let's look at it line by line. We start with, think of the soul. What strikes me most powerfully about this poem is what it has to say about the nature of consciousness and the connections drawn between this world and the next. Think of the soul, Whitman says, suggesting that the brain confront the soul, the reality of physicality attempting to interpret the eternal. Near-death studies demonstrate the fact that our knowledge, our memories are shared between the brain and the soul, since the departing soul is as much us as the body being left behind. And though the brain may be dead, the soul retains the memories, retains the personality, embodies uh, whatever the brain contained and more. In that master's thesis I mentioned, uh, Alan Pugh writes, Walt Whitman in his Song of Myself describes the luminous dream experiences of a clairvoyant persona whose spiritual illumination includes the sensation of an expanded sense of hearing and touch, a radical distortion of time and space, encounters with the spirits of familiar dead persons, and the ability to identify with all joys and agonies of the past, present, and future. Each of these experiences appear to be consistent with modern NDE accounts. The next line of the poem. I swear to you, that body of yours gives proportion to your soul somehow to live in other spheres. This is very interesting because the body has a certain shape, form, look, And people who have died crossed over to the other side and met their grandmothers, their parents, the predeceased them. They say, well, that was, I know it was my dad, or I know it was Jesus, or I know it was, um, um, my, my grand, any, any relationship, someone that they recognized in the past. Now, how does that happen? This line from, um, Walt Whitman, I swear to you, that body of yours gives proportions to your soul may not be just somehow a symbolic um, or spiritual element, but also an appearance element. So we've got to ask, is the body discarded at death or is the bodily form carried forward as our signature ID? Well, according to ND years, we see ourselves, our bodies, and the family and friends we encounter on the other side is the as the spiritual embodiment of the physical body we once inhabited. The bodily image remains after the body is gone and and perhaps is required baggage for us to define ourselves by. And in light of that, you've got to question whether or not uh, reincarnation would change our image or is there an essential um, recognizable factor in the image that others see once we're in our spirit form, that they can identify with whether it's lifetime one, lifetime two, lifetime three, if such things do indeed happen. The next line from the poem. Think of loving and being loved. I swear to you, whoever you are, you can interfuse yourself with such things that everybody that sees you shall look longingly 
upon you. Interesting line. Consider how the face of Moses glowed when he saw God. Consider Christ's uh, transfiguration on the mount. And now take, uh, take a step back and see the blessed people who are intimately acquainted with the source of love and have learned how to channel that love to others and back to the source. In other words, those people whose souls love their bodies, whose bodies love their, well, I shouldn't say body so much as whose souls love the brain content, the, the, the personality that is infused in the body and how the bo- the personality that's infused in the body loves the soul. And this is not true for everybody, naturally. I mean, some of us are at war with one another in terms of our bodies and our souls. But for those people who have that breakthrough, and Moses and, uh, and Jesus were certainly two examples, and have learned how to channel God's love through the soul or the soul's love through their body and back to the source, in other words, making it a clear channel, we long for that love. And we, and that capacity to love in our own lives. Um, and know that it is always there and available to us. And those who do know that it's always there and available to us and can channel that love, they are so much more attractive to us even than people with a kind of political charisma to whom we're also drawn. Let me repeat. I swear to you, whoever you are, you can interfuse yourself with such things. You can identify and also uh, yearn to be a part of such things. Uh, and it says that everybody that sees you shall look longingly upon you. Pretty neat. Pretty deep, I think. Think of the past, Whitman goes on. I warn you that in a little while others will find their past in you and your times. Well, you know, in a way, Whitman is just being cute here. In a little while means the second after, the second after you read the line, it's already your past and he's already involved you in it. So think of the past. I warn you that in a little while, Others will find their past in you and your times. As I read that line, and the past already arrives, recognize that if you're listening, you related yourself not only to what I just read, my past, but Walt Whitman's past, that he has given me a thought that I've passed on to you, that all of these things become interrelated so when I see say that Whitman's being cute here, and in a little while this moment has already become the past, um, the now that we speak at the moment we speak it entangles us together in the memory banks in such a way that Whitman's mind and my mind and your mind are all linked in the past. For us, it's momentary past. For Whitman, it's, it goes back to the 1800s. He goes on to say, the race is never separated, nor no man nor woman escapes. All is inextricable, things, spirits, nature, nations, you too, 
from precedence you come. Now, this is time and no time. Um, we can't escape our lives and our deaths and our destinies. The race is never separated. That's the race of time. That's that's the race from birth to death. No man or woman escapes. Um, we can't escape our lives, our deaths, our destinies, and our linkages to everything that uh, that internal love compels, um, whether we will it or not. We are we are caught by our destinies. We're caught by our fate. We're caught by the entrapment of time, which of course we do escape once our soul leaves our body. Um, and we are um, the outcomes so far, and uh, we are the outcomes of things past, the precedents that from which we come, and uh, we are the parents of outcomes yet to come. It becomes particularly meaningful when you think about people saying, you know, if we don't straighten out the environment in this world, if we don't stop killing off the other species, if we don't uh, stop uh, global warming, uh, we are the parents of outcomes that will be deadly to our offspring. This is one I'm not entirely sure of. Recall the ever-welcome defiers. The mothers precede them. The ever-welcome defiers, well, Walt Whitman was a, a protester. He never worked smoothly with people in his, in his early career. And uh, I think he often got fired for the way he behaved on the job. He was a protester uh, and a rebel. And uh, when he says the mothers precede them, I don't know whether he means that his traits, this characteristic of being a defier came from his mother um, or what that means. I mean, I because I don't know, I can't explain it. And he goes on to say, Recall the sages, and these are the defiers he's listing. Recall the sages, the poets, the saviors, the inventors, the lawgivers of the earth. Then he singles out Christ. Recall Christ, brother of rejected persons, brother of slaves, felons, idiots, and of insane and diseased persons. This is where... uh, Christ's love is so beautifully manifest in the, in the gospel. Who did he seek out? He didn't seek out the rich and powerful except to, to chastise them for their bad behavior. But he sought out the blind and the lame and the poor, um, the lepers and, um, the tax collectors who were treated like lepers at the time. Um, he sought out the sinners and the damaged, because his love extended first and foremost to them, slaves, felons, idiots, and of insane and diseased persons. I think he says idiots and insane because he's talking about those who came, uh, as the Bible put it, possessed of demons or devils, and he cured them of their insanity. Um You have to employ entangled history to further understand the squalling earth life that we live in. Uh, our history from uh, early on, from the time of Plato and Ur and the 
story of that man dying on the battlefield and having a near-death experience all the way to the current day. Um, if, if you've seen the movie The Revenant, which just won some awards, Academy Awards, how violent it is, how, how brutal, how self-serving, how full of uh, anger and uh, revenge that is, you see that nothing, nothing much has changed. This is our entangled history. Notice that uh, Whitman uh, separates saviors and, and Christ. He speaks of them differently, I think because the power of love was expressed most completely in Jesus, whereas those who think they can save you perhaps don't have that capacity to love. They have a vision, but not the power of love. Think of a time when you were not yet born. Think of a time when you were not yet born. Where does that place you? Does it place you between lives? Does it place you in the heavens? Does it does it not even consider your existence um, until the sperm and the cell are joined in the womb? The, the sperm and the egg are joined in the womb? When does that begin, that time when you were not yet born? Of course, I think it begins when you're in, in the heavens, heavens uh, planning the life you're about to leave with your whatever guardian angel, God. Um, what is going to be predetermined, what's going to be a matter of toss, the toss of the dice, as Ur saw it, it's a gamble. Some of it is planned and some of it's a gamble. Think of the time when you were not yet born, when you were in the heavens, contemplating earth, contemplating what you were going to be tackling. Think of your time in the womb. Children have seen um, and heard amazing things through out-of-body experiences while they were in the womb. We have descriptions that children have provided uh, of um when they were three, four years old, accusing the parents, I saw you hit my mother. I saw it, and this is the, and describing the scene. They weren't even born yet. So they were out of body and they saw what was going on. So when you're in the womb, you hear your parents, you hear them fighting, singing, making love. You hear all the good and all the bad. You hear that relationship and it begins to establish your oncoming relationship with them. Think of the times you stood at the side of the dying. And that says a living spirit, uh, as a living being, rather, watch, watching a loved one cross over, a, uh, a wife, a child, a parent, as they die. There are shared near-death experiences that are described uh, in a lot of uh, contexts today. Or as a spirit being um, watching a loved um, yeah, as a living being watching a loved one cross over, or as a spirit being after you've died watching a loved one cross over, both of those are possible. For example, in an article uh, titled "The Trigger of Deathbed Visions," Dr. Carla Wills-Brandon's research um, uh, that Kevin Williams writes about on the internet. Deathbed visions, this is a quote from Kevin Williams, deathbed visions of the dying that are also viewed by persons present at the scene are called shared 
experiences. Uh, a term coined by uh, Dr. Raymond Moody in his book entitled Glimpses of Eternity, an investigation into shared death experiences. One very credible example of an SDE is the, is the documented deathbed visions of the American poet Horace Traubel, who is best known as the literary executor and biographer of his friend, the famous poet we've been reading, Walt Whitman, uh, about whom he compiled nine volumes entitled Walt, Walt Whitman and Camden. Um, an abridged account of this uh, incident comes from um, a Flora McDonald Dennison, who was present at Traubel's deathbed and was published in the April and May issue of a magazine entitled The Sunset of Bon Echo, as follows. This is at the death of um, Horace Traubel. All day, on August 28th, Horace was very low-spirited. Anne's illness and the going of the Baines was too much for him. Mildred was with him a good deal, and we decided not to leave him a minute. He had been brought in from the veranda, but absolutely radiant, and on seeing me, he called out, Look, look, Flora, quick, quick, he is going. What, Horace, I said, what do you see? I cannot see anyone. Why, just over the rock, Walt, meaning Walt Whitman, appeared, head and shoulders and hat on in a golden glory, brilliant and splendid. He reassured me, beckoned to me, and spoke to me. I heard his voice, but did not understand all he said, only, come on. Frank Bain soon came in, and he repeated the story to him. All the rest of the evening, Horace was uplifted and happy. So often, Horace would say, do not despise me for my weakness, but now he was quite confident, even jocular, as I handed him a drink. On the night of September 3rd, Horace was very low. I stayed for a few hours with him. Once his eyes rolled, I thought he was dying, but he just wanted me to turn him. As I did so, he listened and seemed to hear something. Then he said, I hear Walt's voice. He's talking to me. I said, uh, what does he say? Walt says, come on, come on. After a time, he said, Flora, I see them all about me. Bob and Buck and Walt and all the rest. Colonel Crosgrave had been with Horace in the afternoon and had seen Walt on the opposite side of the bed and felt his presence. Then Walt passed through the bed and touched the colonel's hand, which was in his pocket. The contact was like an electric shock. Horace was also aware of Walt's visible presence and said so. There was no gloom about the house. No one seemed depressed. A feeling of triumph, of pride, and of exaltation permeated the atmosphere. Afterwards, a letter from Colonel Cosgrave was received by the American Society of Psychical Research confirming the statement given by Flora Dennison above. Well, we're running low on time, so we'll finish this poem up. Think of the time when your own body will be dying. This is something we sure don't do enough, the, uh, how we're going to release ourselves being the true self, our soul self, from our body, whether there's going to be pain involved, whether we are going to uh, be afraid at the moment of our death, and why should we be when we understand the, the nature of it all. The soul disentangling from the brain. Now, this is a very interesting thing, not only in in the final death, but also in out-of-body experiences and, uh, um, and near-death experiences. 
How does the soul detach itself from the brain? How does the consciousness divvy up like that? How do you, how is it that you could remember your death? And maybe even, uh, once your soul is free, perhaps your soul can differentiate it, this death, this current death from death's past. Something to contemplate. Think of spiritual results. This is the last line of the poem I'm, I'm reading today. Think of spiritual results. Sure, as the earth swims through the heavens, does every one of its objects pass into spiritual results. Well, Whitman was uh, contemporary with uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. And uh, Thoreau, I believe, felt that consciousness, uh, because it all came from the source, consciousness was infused through every particle of matter, from every person to every tree to every rock. Um, because the creation was spoken through a word, and that's word with a capital W embodying, um, materializing love, I would say God's love. And love is the only spiritual result that is eternal. So if all of the creation grew out of God's love, then it's all spiritual in nature, and consciousness is infused, and uh, every one of the objects of that creation pass into spiritual results. Hey, once again, we've run out of time. If you'd like to listen to this show or any other of our NDE radio programs, just go to nderadio.org and click on the Past Shows button. And for more information about IANS and our upcoming NDE conference in Orlando, Florida in July, go to their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.